Kiyose is Auda Nepad's senior advisor to the chief executive officer on issues around food and nutrition security. She begins by looking at nutrition and food security on early childhood development in Africa. The reality is that you cannot have food without agriculture. You need agriculture to provide the quality and quantity foods that we need for our own human, social and economic development. So the important thing to note is that in the days past, agriculture tended to focus more on cash crops, more on cereals, more on sort of carbohydrate-driven um, production, monoproduction. That's why we were reduced over the years to only four staple crops, namely wheat, maize, rice, and potatoes. But now we are beginning to understand that production is beyond that. We need to be looking at livestock. We need to be looking at aquaculture and aquatic foods. We need to be looking at horticulture. So nowadays we are talking about production for a healthier diet and better nutrition. Looking at the challenges that Africa has today and looking at you know, the future of Africa, African child, what is their status at the meantime, you know, looking at nutrition versus early childhood? The status of child nutrition in Africa is not very pleasing. And in fact, unfortunately, it continues to, to, deteriorate, to deteriorate because of um, not only the COVID pandemic, but also because of the ongoing conflicts on the continent. And that is also superimposed by climate variabilities and climate change. So where we are today, about on average, 30 to 35% of African children under five years of age are stunted. What does that mean? That means that if they cannot grow in height, their brains are not, are, are not developing equally as well. Now, this poses a major challenge in terms of how a child can reach their full potential from the perspective of learning, from the perspective of social integration, and from the perspective of productivity. These are the challenges. When we look at another aspect of malnutrition, which is vitamin and mineral deficiencies, many women in Africa are actually dying during childbirth because of iron deficiency anemia. Many children in Africa are actually getting sick and sicker because of deficiencies in vitamin A and zinc. It is estimated as, that as much as 45% of children get ill and are, could be predisposed to death because of vitamin A. Now we are beginning to see another problem that is emerging and very worrisome and at an alarming rate, that of overweight and obesity, both in adults, especially women, and in young children. Here, right here in South Africa, more than 52% of women are actually overweight and obese. Now, if you're overweight and obese, there are a you know, plethora of medical challenges called non-communicable diseases, such as diabetes, hypertension, other heart conditions, arthritis, and, and the list goes on. So the state of affairs is not very pleasing. Something has to be done. There has to be action and action now. Now, as an advisor, you know, to, you know, the CEO, um, you 
could be looking at uh, you know that status but the challenges that come with uh, food and nutrition security you find that you know even that food is not available now how do we make sure that the food that we're talking about is nutritious enough for the children as they're growing up there are several entry points to this to answer your question the first thing that uh, we are having to look at and i personally am very passionate about is the whole area of working with the private sector so that the private sector since they are the ones who produce the food you know from farm to plate along the value chain so getting to work with the private sector to show them that what they are producing and what they should be processing and putting on the supermarket shelves or on the open markets must be nutritious must be safe and must be available and accessible for an ordinary person secondly uh covid has taught us a lot of things that if you have a lockdown if you have um you know border shutting off if you don't have people getting to the fields to produce the food if you don't have people getting to the factories to process the food what do you do you are left with what i call going back to the basics having your own backyard kitchen garden so that you can grow your vegetables whether a small patch of land or in you know pots or you know so people have actually learned to move away from a heavy reliance on food imports. So now countries are saying let us look at our contextualized food systems and production systems and also go back to our traditional indigenous and local foods that you know seem to be dwindling in product in production and productivity and also in people consuming them because these foods are normally viewed as inferior. They are viewed as you know for people that are in the rural areas but interestingly these are the very foods that now the north and the west have you know become very interested in because they've seen the value and how organic they are and how nutritious they are so we are at a crossroads of we as a continent understanding that we really do have the potential we have everything we need basically but we are not optimizing that potential Uh, today you were t- attending this meeting around the rates what do you think this uh, is going to help the status quo so far you know such consultations you know are very useful from um, a couple of perspectives they are useful in the sense of uh, bringing different stakeholders different players together to address an issue and to unpack the issue and to really interrogate the issue to say what have we gone wrong where do we go off the rails what can we do better individually and collectively so with the knowledge sharing that we had with the regional economic communities i believe that now they are going to be more interested in revamping their own policies their own systems their own uh, communications their own um, uh, means of uh, getting to their leaders to say now that i know better this is what we need to do together so that we can improve the situation on the ground for early childhood development coupled with nutrition and coupled with better education and coupled with better societal integration so we see here nepad rather the au and nepad championing this course when we look at uh, school going children what are your plans towards helping you know, this initiative 
uh, this initiative actually, the early childhood development actually kicks off from the minute that a woman conceives up to the time that the child reaches, you know, adolescence and, you know, up to 18 years. So this is the deal. You see, many times we don't realize that the first thousand days is very, very important. And the first thousand days counts from conception to the time a child's two years of age. That's a critical period because after two years of age, if that child did not get adequate nutrition, their brain cells would not have developed and all the damage would be done. You can't reverse that damage. Yes, there can be what we call catch-up growth after two years. So the important thing is what we are doing vis-a-vis school-age-growing children is that interesting. Last year, we had a huge consultation as the UN system on food systems. This consultation brought together different national governments from across all all regions, globally, to discuss how can we transform our food systems so that our food systems can adequately address the major challenges around the three forms of malnutrition, like I mentioned, undernutrition, micronutrient deficiencies, overweight and obesity. So we have a program for targeting school feeding kids, school going kids. It is called, we started a global school meals coalition. This coalition brings together, yet again, different stakeholders to look at what individuals can do, what uh, collectively governments can do, so that school-going kids can have at least one nutritious hot meal per day. Because sometimes kids go to school without having had a meal. So the school meals program plays a very critical role, not only in plugging in the gap around food security or food insecurity, but also providing the the requisite nutrition and helping the child go to school and stay in school and learn better and actually have more ambition for their future. Maybe you should take us into your confidence that uh, as AU NEPAD, you are in the forefront of this initiative that every child is going to be catered for until the 70 years that we are projecting life expectancy. Absolutely. Our um, statistics show us that actually, since, uh, let me be specific about the program at NEPAD, then I'll de- you know, double into the other I mean, the UN programs. At AUDA in Epart, we started uh, a program with a very deliberate intention of it being inclusive. The program is called Home Grown School Feeding. The intention of this program, as opposed to the previous programs, where the school food was coming from outside as inputs, let's say from the US or from whenever, now we are saying, let our school feeding programs, school meals programs, support the smallholder farmers so that the smallholder farmers can produce and supply and have a ready market through the schools. But also more importantly, if you have a homegrown school feeding program, you have a context-specific way of doing business that looks at what are the food habits in that area. And this program grew from having only 12 pilot countries in 2008. Now we have over 40 countries subscribing to the program and putting more money into their own planning and implementation of these programs. 
So this is very gratifying because had we not had a push and had we not had um, the right kind and level of advocacy, we'd be really spinning our wheels. So for me, this is one window of opportunity and actually a success story. Now other regions want to emulate what Africa is doing at this point. And as a humanity and sometimes as technical people and as leaders, as the communities, we fail to understand that problems of malnutrition are very multifaceted. Nutrition is a multidisciplinary, multisectoral issue that requires different sectors to engage from agriculture to health to education to social protection to trade and to financing. Now, the kicker is here that, yes, food insecurity and malnutrition are directly caused by lack of access to food, the lack of adequate combination of healthy diets. But we have to also understand the backstory that we didn't just wake up and find ourselves without being able to produce enough. That brings me to the point of our climate change and climate variability. Over the years, we've seen more droughts in the Sahel and the Kalahari, floods in Central Africa, floods in Southern Africa, you know, that actually have hampered and drawn us back to, you know, lower productivity production and, you know, uh, depleting our soils and the quality of our soils. Another element is that we cannot run away from. We, we continually have conflicts in our different regions that are displacing people. Displaced people end up becoming climate migrants or economic migrants. That interferes with their capacity and opportunity to produce and put food on their table. So I would like to really highlight that, that we need to be looking at issues of um, cost, the causality and the pathways of malnutrition and how we can address it in a broader sense and in a very inclusive way. Africa.